Hello, and welcome to the Global Retriever Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bavero of Waterstone Labradors in Bernie, Texas. Today's episode features Keith McNamara of Limerick, Ireland. Keith will be discussing training methods, hunting, field trials, and judging from the Emerald Isle. You can find Keith on Instagram and Facebook at Lariga Labradors. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Keith. How are you today? Hi, David. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. Thanks for uh, taking time to do the podcast today. No problem at all. Really appreciate the invite onto the Global Retriever podcast and wish it every success in the future. I believe I'm one of the first guests. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the kind words. So, uh, Keith, um, I'd like to get started. And um, if you could give us a little bit about your background, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, how you got into dogs, um, what you do as far as, you know, hunting, trialing, uh, judging you know, kind of all of the above. If you can give us a, a background on that, I think everybody would find that very interesting. Yeah, sure, no problem. Well, first of all, my name is Keith McNamara, and I own Lorica Labradors here in Southern Ireland. I live in Limerick, County Limerick, um, which is in the southwest of the country, not too far from the Atlantic West Coast. Um, and from as far back as I can remember, from when I was a very young child, I remember going hunting and shooting and fishing with my dad. Any of the country pursuits that were available to us here, we'd done them. Um, he hunted over the pinting breeds, English pinters and German short-haired pinters that we owned. We often hunted over our cousins, English setters as well. So my first introduction to the gundog world was over the pinting breeds, not the, the, the flushers and retrievers that I would have now. But... Back then, we mainly hunted pheasants, and we call it rough shooting. The equivalent of, of your guys would have would be um, upland hunting. Um, we did a lot of wild fowling on the Shannon Estuary as well, and we shot plenty of ducks, and the, the, the pointers and the setters were expected to retrieve them, but they wouldn't have had a whole pile of training, and they're not the most suitable um, breeds for retrieving. So um, I, I remember training one German pointer, to retrieve and handle on blinds and she would do it up to Labrador field trial standard. She could go go back in a straight line for 200 yards. She could stop, she could go left, she could go right and she could retrieve back to hand. But um, I was, I started hunting with some some mates then, some friends that um, had, they were doing a lot of woodcock hunting and they had English Springer Spaniels and obviously the, the Springers and the pinting breeds are not really compatible because one holds pint and one flushes, so they don't really complement each other. So the pinting breeds got sidelined, and I got into more spaniels at the time for the woodcock. But um, we were still doing a lot of duck shooting, so it was only a matter of time, I suppose, before I bought my first Labrador Retriever. She was a black female called Ruta Teal. Her pet name was Belle. Um, I bought her. She was six months old, but unfortunately her breeder had, had not done much socialization with her. She had been kept in a kennel. So it took me a while to build confidence with her and train her, but she turned out to be excellent. Um, I shot hundreds of pheasants and woodcock and duck over her. A great memories of, of, of shooting over her. And she became my foundation female for my Lorica kennels. 
Um, as I said, Lorega is my registered prefix here with the Irish Kennel Club. I started breeding my own line of Labradors over 20 years ago. I'm an amateur trainer, so um, I don't take in dogs for other people, which suits me because um, if um, it gives me more time to put into my own dogs. Um, to date, I, I've met up two field trial champions and I've bred two field trial champions as well. Yeah, very good. Um, quite, the, quite the background in dogs. Um, and you mentioned you know, a lot of hunting. Uh, pheasants and ducks um, but Keith what if, if you were going to pick you know your favorite thing to do with with your Labradors and you know getting out hunting what what what, what do you do what's what's your favorite thing what would you pick well one of my most one of my favorite things to do is actually to hunt deer but it, it doesn't involve the dogs if you're talking about the retriever breeds it's definitely hunting snipe I love shooting snipe when they're when they come in as the season progresses we're in early september here in ireland now and i'm actually just back in the door from from um deer hunting but when the when the snipes start coming into the country later in the month and over the next few months more and more of them will come with each full moon as they're a migratory species i just love going off with a gun in, uh, and a dog at heel one of my labradors at heel and shooting snipe and picking them with the labradors i really i taught you before david i think they're the ultimate test of a labrador retriever they're just so small so difficult to find and if you shoot them into heavy cover they, they live in wetlands so if you shoot them into the heavy cover that can be on the wetlands it's a real difficult find and a great test of a retriever yeah it's, it's interesting uh, a snipe is not something that's commonly hunted here in the states uh, they do exist, uh, but it's not something that's commonly hunted. There is uh, woodcock, and I believe you have uh, woodcock as well that kind of mix in with the snipe. Is that correct? Yeah, I love shooting woodcock too. I shoot the woodcock over the springers. Usually when you're it'd be out pheasant hunting, hunting uh, glens and covers and um, ditches here for pheasants, you meet a lot of woodcock too later in the winter when they're in from kind of November on. They, they, they have a similar migratory route to the snipe. The snipe, like we do have resident snipe and woodcock here that remain here all year round and breed here, but they're few and far between. Most of our woodcock and snipe migrate to Scandinavia and Eastern Europe, and I believe they've been tracked as far east as Russia. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting how the, you know, we are all, all, most of our waterfowl comes down from Canada and uh, Alaska and uh, makes the the route through the U.S. into the southern states, but your your migratory path, like you said, comes from Scandinavia, um, and then winters in Ireland, which you wouldn't think uh, Ireland as a, a wintering place, but your your climate is pretty temperate. You don't get very warm or very cold there. I mean, you have uh, you know it freezes, but you know your lakes don't freeze solid or. Uh, you don't have feet of snow on the ground, so a reason for migratory birds to to leave. They still have access to uh, food and cover year-round there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So the, when the woodcock come in, the ground will remain soft for the majority of the winter, and they're, they're obviously able to get out into the fields and probe for worms and grubs and whatever they eat. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's mild here. Our winters tend to be mild and wet. As you know, you've been here, you've experienced them. Uh, we're, no, we're known for our rain. So it, it, suits, it just suits those birds to come in here. As, as you say, it doesn't freeze over here too often. Yeah. So, uh, Keith, would you, you know, you love to do all the different hunting, uh, snipe hunting, 
uh, pheasants, ducks. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you train your Labradors for for hunting, and then you know how that kind of transitions over to uh, some of the field trials you do, because I know there's a, a direct correlation between between the two. Yeah, sure. Well, our field trials here would be different from your hunt tests and field trials in that they're uh, live bird, wild bird hunts, basically. So we're, we'd be training our retrieving dogs for field trials here very much the same way, and the Spaniels for that matter, the very much the same way. You train them for field trials the same way as you train them go hunting because like the the field trials here are supposed to represent today in the field be it picking up at one of the bigger shoots or off just wild fowling on the estuary or off duck hunting with your retriever or your or, or, or your spaniel so they have to be trained very much the same way because it's a similar game to the, to the degree where we actually have wild bird trials here on the snipe that we were talking about previously um so you know, we have to train them to be ready for those circumstances because if you if you go into one of the bigger pheasant shoots here, even though the birds may have been pin reared and released onto the shoot, they're living a wild existence on that shoot. So um, we have to get our dogs ready to handle all the circumstances that come up when the birds are shot. Usually the gamekeeper will feed them into certain woods and protect them from predators and um, mine those birds throughout the summer and rear them. And, and when they're ready to be shot um, on the shoot day, which would also be a field trial, the, the guns are brought in to surround that cover and beaters will go into the woodland and beat the birds, flush the birds out over the guns to be shot. And they're shot in random locations all over that shoot in all types of terrain and cover. And the dogs come in and pick them up if it's picking up day. But if it's actually a field trial day that's been organized for that day, obviously the judges will bring the dogs in and set up the retrieves and put the dogs through their paces. But the dogs have to sit out intense drives you've seen it you've been here like where there's literally thousands of birds fl flushed on some of the bigger shoots and there could there could be 50 or 100 or 150 birds shot on a drive on some of the bigger shoots and the birds are falling all over the place in random locations sometimes quite close to where the dogs are sitting out so the dogs have to be calm and have the temperament to take all that pressure of birds falling quite close to them and not break and not make any noise. We have a zero noise standard here. So does we have to train for that. And it takes a long time to train the dogs up. It's a slow process where you're building the dog over two, three years, maybe even four years before you have the dog, what we call fully trained. Yeah, Keith, the, uh, the training methods that you use, um, you're really emphasizing uh, steadiness, calmness, quiet. Um, there's still plenty of drive in the dogs. And I think that's one of the kind of misconceptions is that uh, the Irish and British labs are, uh, have less drive, but uh, my experience with my own breeding program and being over there is that really is not the case at all. They just um, are calmer and quiet is what we would refer to as a, as an off switch. So, you know, the off switch, the off switch is not, you know, sleeping on the couch the off switch is in a in a game situation whether it be hunting or field trials or hunt tests they're able to kind of maintain their composure uh not whine you know pat their feet 
break, um, you know, on a regular basis. So your, your training reflects that. Um, so how, how do you, how do you do that? Like, what's your kind of your foundation? And, you know, if you had to kind of lay it out, you know, what, what are you working on versus what you may see over in the U S where we're putting, you know, dogs, uh, on live pigeons at six months or doing a lot of marking and retrieving that way you have a, you have a very different style to, develop the dog into that and although the genetics are there you still have to train that way to to uh, kind of bring out those traits yeah well i definitely agree with you that the genetics uh, have been bred into our british and irish retrievers for hundreds of years now to do what they do so they have ample amounts of drive and natural ability and retrieving instinct they don't they don't need to be wound up um we try and do it well most of us here anyway i would consider myself a balanced trainer not forced and not bribed so i don't use treats um maybe maybe initially very early on with a, a very young puppy just to reward it for putting its back side down and sitting or coming when called i might give it a, a little bit of kibble to reward it but i would cut that out very very early doors and it's just praise and the retrieve itself uh, the board or the bumper or the dummy is the reward, you know, but um, it takes longer because it's more about building a bond between you and the dog. And as you said, as I said earlier, does the, the dogs have to experience a lot of pressure at our trials. So we take it very, very slowly and build that dog without winding the dog up. Like I wouldn't be putting young pups into any situation that might cause them to whimper or break or, or, you know, get too excited because we're trying to keep them. They're, they're, they're naturally calm. They have an actually calm temperament here anyway. And we're trying to foster and shape that. That's mostly what our training is about, bringing out their natural instincts and shaping what they already have. So the, the genetics in them, there's buckets of driving our dogs over here, more than most handlers or trainers would ever need. So all we're doing is shaping what's already there. Like we're not forcing them to fetch. They'll naturally fetch. Most pups will, most retriever pups, and I think they're the same everywhere, to be honest with you, whether it's Ireland or England or anywhere else in the world for that matter, they 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 want to pick stuff up and have it in their mouth and run around with it, you know. So you're only shaping. The instinct to retrieve is there. You're shaping it. You know, have them in a little corridor from a young age and make sure that they're coming back to you. So you're shaping the, 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 re, the recall and the return. And it's just bringing, bringing it out very, very slowly over time. As I said, everything in training is a conditioned response. So you're, you try and avoid making mistakes with them and putting bad habits into them and just try and get them to do what you want from a young age. We build a lot of our training. But the, the most important part of a young dog's training, I believe, is the basics or the foundation. You just have to work on the basics. I would be working on the basics for the first year and a half that I would have that pup up until 18, 90, 20 months even. And the basics, I consider what I consider basics are sit, stay, heal and come. And until you have all them, a solid foundation with sit, stay, heal and come, I wouldn't progress on to anything else really. Um, when they get a bit older then and you have a good level of basics on them, everything is here is kind of built on the memory retrieve or I believe you guys call it pattern blinds. It's, it's basically a memory blind where you walk out, drop a dummy, or a bumper or a board and walk back to the baseline. So the dog has walked at heel with you 
and it knows the way out, it knows where it was dropped, and it knows the way back. So they have the drive in to, to remember where it is, fly back and get it, and you just start off short, drop it in a spot, go back maybe 15 or 20 or 30 yards, send it back, and then you'd increase the distance. You keep dropping it in the same spot, and you'd increase the distance back farther and farther. And very, very quickly, you could have them running two or 300 yard memory blinds, as we call them. And the memory is the basis for everything. We do memories over walls, over fences, across rivers. We do memories to teach them all sorts of concepts. And it's how we you know, build a dog. Yeah, no, I think um, that is very different. Uh, the American training style is much more focused on marking um, so they would typically do that first, then move on to uh, the handling uh, where you're really doing or emphasizing the, the memory work and building all the foundation on there uh, to, uh, to, to play the game that, that you guys have to play. And, you know, when you said you have a zero noise standard, um, I mean, I've, I've seen that over there where just just the slightest whimper that you can barely hear sometimes can get you knocked out of the trial. So a little bit of a, a squeak, as uh, I've heard you guys say, is that uh, it's just a really bad thing in a, in a dog and could prevent a really good dog from getting a field trial title or winning or placing uh, in it if you can't fix that. So um, big emphasis on that genetically and in training too. Yeah, definitely. Um, if a dog is making noise here in a field trial competition and the judge can identify the dog that's making it, it will be immediately, that handler and their dog will be immediately eliminated from the competition. And it's been that way as long as there's been field trials in the UK and Ireland. So um, we really have to try and eliminate it from the genetics, first of all. So we try and breed quite dogs with quite dogs. And we, but it's it's very much genetic, but it can also be created, as we were discussing there, if we try not to do anything to what we call wind up young puppies, because I see a lot of American trainers there. And uh, look, I don't want to I, I, I don't want to upset our American listeners or or isolate them from the conversation. It's a different game they're playing over there and they have their reasons, but I see them going out with four or five month old puppies and teasing them with pigeons and to, to, to a lot of trainers over here, that would be crazy because, you know, as I said, they have ample drive and why would you want to put more prey drive into a dog that has ample drive genetically? You're just bringing out, you're creating problems farther down the road. You're creating, as I said, you're bringing out noise, you're create, creating unsteadiness. And the other thing I see, the other thing I see with, uh, with a lot of American hunters that even be taking four or five, six month old pups hunting, and again, that's only asking for for trouble and creating problems in the for the training down the road. I don't see any benefit of it myself, you know. Yeah, no, I I would agree. I mean, and you know, I would have been guilty of that in the past, um, where you know people buy a pup and then they're just anxious to get that dog out on the first season and get them on birds. And um, although the dog loves it, I think you do way more damage than you do good so better to kind of kind of sit on the bench or the sidelines and make sure the foundation and the maturity is there for the dog to be able to, to handle it because if you take take that pup out and that pup breaks in you know on a 
duck shoot or something like that, uh, you're, you're going to deal with that for the rest of the life of that dog. They've, they've experienced the reward for it. So very hard to create. So, uh, just, just much better to, to avoid that situation make sure they're good and steady and quiet, um, can be, you know, a good partner in the blind, not, you know, whining, bouncing around, you know, safety too. I mean, nobody wants a dog that breaks out in front or is knocking a gun over. So there, there's a lot of etiquette that goes into it as well, I believe. De- definitely, definitely. And I said to you before, one of my pet hates, there's nothing I hate worse when I'm out hunting in a, in a, in a, in a duck blind, um, shooting ducks over decoys or in a boat. There's nothing I hate worse than an unsteady dog that's whining and whinging and breaking. It just, it ruins the hunt. Yeah, no, I agree. And, um, unfortunately have been in that situation, uh, several times, but uh, not not something. And that person uh, generally doesn't get invited back until that dog is is trained. It's just, it's just not fair to everybody uh, in the situation. So there's a, a lot to be said about just just wait. You know, just wait. It's not it's not a uh, you know not a sprint. It's definitely a marathon. You want the dog to uh, be able to do what it's supposed to and and train it the the way it was bred to be trained and have it enjoyable um, you know definitely i think i think the big problem david is that word patience people don't have patience this day and age they want everything instantly we live in a society that wants everything yesterday you know but um Patience is extremely important, as you know, in training dogs. You have to have patience for them. As you said, maturity is extremely important. You have to let those young dogs mature until they're ready to take the pressure of being in a hunting scenario. And like rushing a pup to get it out in its first season and it's younger than a year old is probably going to, is probably going to create problems that are going to last a lifetime, as you said. But if you spend the time and you take two or three years training that dog and bringing it on correctly like I believe a lot of the trainers here do, um, you're going to get seven, eight, nine, ten years out of that dog thereafter. So it's worth having the patience to just wait and make sure all the foundations are done properly and the pup is ready to be put into those pressure situations. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree with you. Um, so Keith, just to kind of back up a little bit, um, I wanted to touch a little bit more on the snipe uh, and the trials, because you had mentioned that you do trials on wild snipe. Um, so that would be something that would be very different and something that I would guess most people have never seen. Um, there are some trials on like grouse um, up in the northern states, but kind of a rare event and not something that's commonly done. Um, so t- tell us a little bit more about uh, your trials when you're doing a wild snipe trial and what that looks like and, you know, how all that works. Yeah, no problem. As I said earlier, we're lucky enough to be able to have wild bird field trials here. And basically, as I said, there are migratory species that will start coming in this month and every month from there on with every full moon, we get more and more of them. So by the second half of the season, there should hopefully be a lot of snipe in the country, November, December and January. And that's typically when we would have the field trials on them. Now, there's two ways that we run the field trials on snipe. One would be driven snipe, where a wetland that they would be in would be surrounded 
by guns and you'd have some beaters that would go in, walk the bog, make a bit of noise, uh, flush the snipe out over the guns and the guns would be shot in random locations. The dogs would have to sit out while this is going on and then there would be markers there helping out in the day. Or we could, Just basically people with taking notes on where each snipe fell and they'd relay that information to the judge. Then the judge would set up the retrieve and send the dogs for it. Now, because the birds are falling in random locations in all different types of terrain, um, each retrieve is unique and different for every competitor. You may get two birds shot in the one area and two dogs will pick those birds, so it would be a similar retrieve. But in actual fact, there's no two retrieves exactly the same ever. So that would be something different than what you guys would have. And the other, the other thing that's different here, I believe, as well is that when the judge sets up the retrieve, the dogs have to be trained to a high standard to take a good line to the area, stop and handle and achieve the area. But when they get in the area, they actually have to hunt under their own initiative, their own natural ability, use their speed, style, drive, nose, use their natural attributes to find that bird and retrieve it. Um, that would be a little bit different than, than the blinds that you would have over. I, I believe that you're allowed to hunt at the end of the marks, but not so much at the end of the blinds. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's uh, that would be correct. Where our blinds are more... Uh, we we know where the where the bird is. It's marked by a ribbon, so we're handling directly to to the bird, and then it's picked up. And then the mark uh, is where you just want the dog to find the bird on its own. However, you can handle um, on some of the marks. Uh, you get marked down, and uh, just depending on how much it is and what happens, uh, it, it could knock you, knock you out. But on the blind itself. Uh, you have to handle directly to the to the blind, and in your situation, you're handling on the blind. You're handling to an area because you you don't know where the bird is. It's exactly in yeah. a general a general area, um, and then you had mentioned uh, that the dog has to hunt it up when it gets in there. So um, explain that because I know there's a command where you get your dog to the area and then you tell it to hunt. So tell us a little bit about how that works. Yeah, well, the field trial is supposed to be like a day out shooting, and the snipe trials are a great example of that because they're exactly the same as a day out shooting. If I go off on my own with a Labrador heel and I shoot, walk, do walked up snipe with my own gun, the snipe flushes, I shoot it, and two may flush, so I might shoot one and I might be aiming at another one and not really see where the first one falls, so I'll have only an idea it fell over there somewhere. I'll have a, a rough idea if I didn't mark the exact spot. And sometimes when you're shooting at more than one board, same if there was ducks coming into decoys, you might be shooting at more than one board and one board might go down in the rushes at the far side of the pond and you might you might have an idea where it is. It's over there somewhere, over there on the left, but I, I was concentrating on another board, so I'm not 100% sure. So you're sending your dog over there and you're asking it to hunt. Now we have, as you said, we have a command for hunting an area. The traditional um, UK command back in the day, and some people still use it, would be high lost. But I use steady. Just ask the dog to steady when it's in the area. You'd say steady 
a number of times. And I have a hunt whistle as well. If the dog is too far away, obviously in a field trial, you don't want to be shouting at your dog when it's a distance away from you. So I have a hunt whistle. It sounds a bit like a recall whistle, but it's significantly different that the dog understands if it's taught correctly to put the head down and hunt. And the reason we have to do that, like if you're at a snipe trial and there's a marker relaying the information about where the board is to the judge and the judge has given it to the competitor, by the time that judge gives it to the competitor, um, it's second or third hand information. And if the judge or the competitor didn't see that board being that specific board being shot, they don't know where it is. So the judge can only give an area because he doesn't know exactly where it is. There's no ribbon hanging over the snipe to tell you exactly where it is. So you have to get into an area and the dog has to use its natural ability when it's in the area. And like we have to we have to cast, stop and handle which would be similar to the blinds that you guys would be doing in your competitions. But when the dog gets into the area, it's actually a requirement here in our rule book that the judge should be looking for the dog with the most natural ability, the best game finder, the best game finding dog. And that's the dog that will hunt a nice area with nice speed and style control if needed. Um, that's obviously where the training comes in. If the dog goes out of the area and you can see it, you stop it and you handle it back into the area. But when it's in the area, you leave that dog work away and it's on and find that board. And the judge will give you ample time if the dog is actually hunting the correct area. Now, if you can't achieve the area or the dog keeps going out of the area and not hunting it, just running through it, um, the dog will be called in fairly promptly and a different dog will be sent and you'll be eliminated. So Keith, how do you how do you train your pups uh, on that hunt command? Because I, I find it uh, a very useful command and something, even though it doesn't play into American uh, tests, um, it certainly would for for hunting. So tell us a little bit about how you train those dogs to uh, to, to to get that command and hunt on either on a verbal or on a whistle. Yeah, sure. Well, I actually started with very young puppies. Um, if 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 I breed pups here and I have them at a very young age and I'm keeping them back for myself, like five, five, six, seven weeks old, I would take that pup out and be playing with it in the garden on the mowed lawn, a tightly mowed lawn. I'd have a little bit of kibble in my pocket. And this is the one time I would use a, a, a food reward as a treat. I would throw down a few nuts maybe a half a dozen nuts in a tight area just at my feet and put let the pup see them being thrown down. But the grass is long enough that he can't actually just see them and pick them up which, which, you know, by just using sight. And when you put the pup down, he knows the nuts have gone down there. So he has to hunt with his nose to find them. And even very young pups that are only, only as I said, five, six, seven, eight weeks old, you will see the action of them at that young age when they're searching with their nose for the kibble and then they get one. So it's a, it's a food reward. So they start hunting again for another one. And you see all that tail action and the, the, the back half of them going, going fast and they're getting the reward for finding it. And I would be, at the same time, overlaying my verbal steady, 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 or my hunt whistle, um, so that the dog gets, that becomes, their condition to that as a background noise, but they get used to every time they're allowed hunt for the kibble, they're hearing the steady command and they're hearing the whistle. So that would be the initial introduction to it. Then when they're a little bit older and you have some steadiness done with them and you can actually have the pup sit and stay, I would throw a ball into short cover near them and maybe initially let them see me throw the ball and even break for it. And they go into that short cover. It could be, 
it could be short grass, you know, knee-high grass or even shorter, just enough to cover the ball again like the kibble, and they have to go in. And obviously, if they see me throwing it in, it's a marked retrieve. So, so they know where it's gone and they go in and they start hunting for it. They might find it straight away, but if the grass is long enough, they might, they'll probably have to put on a little bit of a hunt and use their nose. But they know where it is, so they're holding a tight area because they've seen where it is and they're, they know the general area of where it is. And again, you're overlaying your verbal steady and your hunt whistle. So they get conditioned over time to get used to it. When they get a bit older then and they're actually a, a bit more steady and they're not breaking to the, to the throne, to the throne ball or small dummy, you'd cover their eyes and maybe cough so they don't hear the, the ball or the dummy hit the ground. And then you'd ask them to to hunt with your hunt whistle or your steady command and it, sometimes it takes a while because you're going against the conditioning to sit sit still and stay steady you kind of have to you know get them to break out of that sit because that command requires them to break out of sit and hunt so that when they're older and actually fully trained eventually you could be sending them back 150 200 yards blowing the stop whistle they sit and then when they're looking back at you you give the hunt whistle and the hunt whistle means it's close so Throughout all your training, you'd never have the ball or the dummy more than five or ten yards away from them. So that if they hunt away out of the area, you just bring the pup back, sit it and start again. And with conditioning over time, they begin to realize that, well, I never find it 100 or 150 yards away. I always find it quite close to where he gives that initial hunt command. And... You know, with time and experience, they learn, you hope that if you do it right, they learn to hunt a nice tight area which, as, as we've mentioned already, were, is very much required for the game we play here. Yeah, no, I, I, I find that uh, just kind of a, a brilliant command, and I could see it working really well for hunting, whether you know, it be duck hunting or pheasant hunting, where you're shooting a bird, and you know it's somewhere close to an area, and you can, you can get your dog over to it and give that command and, you know, and let them, let them hunt it. So no, I, th I think that's a, a brilliant command. And just uh, to kind of clarify our, to our listeners, uh, you, you, you use the word nuts and kibble interchangeably. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so nut, nuts is dog food, not, you know, not, you know, walnuts or pecans or something like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is kibble, so we don't want people putting peanuts down or something like that. So, um, but yeah, well, no, some no, some no, some no, of what no, I, what no. I say might be lost in translation. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so just every once in a while, and like I said, I've I've talked to you enough and been there, so I, I understand it. So you're you're um, used to me. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but uh, back to the back to the snipe trial. Um, so being you know it, it's wild birds. So what what happens if they're, you know, they're not there. I mean, what, it, it's a wild bird. You can't control how many are in the field. So how, how does that all work? Well, look, there's two ways of doing it. I explained about surrounding the, 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 the bog or the wetland and driving the snipe out over the guns and their shot. And then the, the judges set up the retrieves and put the dogs through their paces. But the other way is walked up snipe. And you've been here, David, you've done it. You've walked the wetlands with us and you've seen the ground. Um, basically how that works is usually the judges, there'd be two judges usually at a snipe trial and they would bring in two dogs each. Sometimes they'd bring in three or more, but in general, they'd only bring two dogs each. So if our field trials here are 12 dog or 16 dog stakes. So 
if it's a 12 dog snipe trial they'd be divided into odds and evens every competitor gets uh, an armband gets a number from 1 to 12 the senior judge takes uh, 1, 3, 5, 7, 9 and 11 he takes the odd dogs and the other judge on the day would take the even dogs on the right hand side of the line the odd dogs go on the left hand side of the line so the the, the senior judge would bring in one and three and the other judge would bring in two and four. So you'd have four dogs in line and one dog, the, the next dog to go will get the next retrieve and the other dog is an honouring dog. And they would have guns in line with the competitors and the judge walking across that wetland and the snipe will flush Gun will shoot a board. Again, it'll land in random locations and the judges will send. And now it could be shot 20, 30 metres in front of, 20, 30 yards in front of the line, in front of the dog and the competitor, or it could be shot 150 yards away, which would be a big retrieve at a snipe trial. But I've seen, I've seen bigger retrieves than that even. But um, it just depends on where the fight fall. You could be sent to the other side of the line as well. And... Um, Basically, what you were saying about trials not finishing, there's two reasons why trials would not finish. One is lack of game. They're a wild bird. They can, there could be thousands of snipe in a wetland this week. And when you go to the trial the following week, they're just not there. They've moved on weather conditions. Whatever, for whatever reason, they're just not there. Somebody could have come in and hunted the bog and the snipe have moved on. And so you're walking all day and just not meeting the game required. As I said, it's wild game. It, it'll either be there or it won't be there. So if it's not there, I've judged trials and I've competed in trials that were that were unfortunately had to be called off due to lack of game. You usually know you're in trouble if you get to lunchtime and you're still on the first or second round. That's not enough retrieves to complete um, to get a result at the trial. And usually the judge will confer with the secretary of the club and they might have to call it off. Now, most... most uh, judges and competitors will walk until dark to try and finish a snipe trial, but it but not always successfully. The other the other reason it would be called off is because the dogs just weren't up to the task. As I said, I believe that snipe are the ultimate test of a retriever, and if the snipe have been down a while or or just frosty conditions on wetlands, the scent can go off them quite quickly. And I've seen numbers of dogs being sent on particular birds and hunt the area well and still fail to produce and the judge might send four, five, six dogs down the judge, the dogs don't find the bird and the judge goes down and finds it so that's a judge's eye wipe where the judge picks it and the dogs all failed they'd all be eliminated and if the trial is called off and it's called a no result, you just go home and you try again the next day Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it sounds you know, very, very different and uh, very difficult, and uh, I guess if they call it off, just uh, go over to the pub and have a couple of pints, I guess, right? Not, not yeah. all bad. <laughs> yeah, a couple of creamy pints again, it's drowned your sorrows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would uh, uh, not be a good day. But, you know, if you play in the game, you got to expect that, that those things are, are going to happen. So, um, no, that's good. I think uh, kind of gives our audience a, a very good perspective on, you know, how that all works. Um, but I, I did also want to get into uh, you are a judge and what we would call an A-panel judge. So that would be the highest level uh, of accomplishment as a judge. So I'd like to get into um, what it's like being a judge 
um, in Ireland and, and Europe, because I know you're not just limited to judging there, but you also are afforded the opportunity to hunt or uh, judge in other countries. And I'm sure that's just a treat to see other dogs and cultures. Uh, so t- tell our listeners, you know, how you got into that and, and what all that involves as well. Yeah, sure. Well, as you said, I'm an A-panel judge with the IKC, which is the Irish Kennel Club. And an A-panel judge is the top ranking for a judge over here in Ireland. But the process to achieve A-panel involves starting off on the C-panel, or it would be called an on-panel judge in the UK. And then after a number of trials as a C-judge with a number of of A-panel judges reviewing your performance, um. You're, you can progress up the panel to a B and ultimately up to an A. Now, to get on the C panel, normally what happens is a local retriever club over here would nominate someone to go on that C panel and that person should have trial experience. Actually, I think in our rule book, it says a minimum of three years trial experience and have been placed at least fourth in a trial. So you would have to have... a you know, a fair bit of experience to get nominated onto the 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 panel as a C judge. And the C judge is basically a learner judge. So you're with the senior A panel judge on the day of the trial and he writes a performance review on how you handle yourself, were you courteous to the competitors? Did you have a good understanding of the rule book? And if he writes a positive review on you, he'll send that 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 review um is sent into the kennel club. If you get enough performance, positive performance reviews, you progress up the panel to the B. Um, and when you're a B judge, the difference is that you have a line of dogs in your own. As I said earlier on, we would have 12 or 16 dog stakes here. If you had a 16 dog stake here at a driven shoot, we'll say, um, the, the dogs would be divided into odds and evens, as I explained earlier. And the senior judge takes the odds on the left side of the line and judges them. The B judge, who obviously isn't a senior judge, takes the even dogs on the right-hand side of the line and he judges the first round of retrieves for those dogs by himself. So there's nobody looking over his shoulder and, and reviewing his performance. So that's a big step up in responsibility for the B judge. And, and then whatever dogs make it to the next rounds and the latter stages of the trial, um, that B judge gets together with the A judge and judges the rest of the trial and they, they get a result. And again, that A judge is writing performance reviews on that B judge. And eventually, eventually when he gets enough positive ones, he progresses up to the A panel. But as you said, we, we here in Ireland are afforded the opportunity to judge overseas as well as here at home in Ireland. Um, Basically, how that works is there's a governing body in Europe called FCI, and they're the governing body of all the different kennel clubs across Europe, and I believe in a number of other countries worldwide as well. So they kind of all operate under very similar rules. There'd be slight differences in each country, but there wouldn't be. the, 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 The main rules are pretty similar. So the judges are qualified to judge, the A-panel judges are qualified to judge in each other's country, which is a fantastic opportunity because you get to go and see other dogs, as you said, dogs that we wouldn't normally 
judge often here in Ireland, like there's very few flat court retrievers here competing or, or golden retrievers for that matter, but there's a lot of them in Europe. So we get to see other breeds. You also get to see how the different Bavarian countries run their trials and, and their working tests. So you get to see how they set up their competitions and you're judging with judges you wouldn't normally judge with here. So you're getting to see different interpretations of the rules and it, it all adds immensely to the learning experience plus they're great fun David because the clubs out there pay for everything literally they pay for your flights your accommodation and they treat you like royalty while you're over there so you get the best of food and drink and you get to experience a bit of the culture so it's we're, anyone that gets afforded the opportunity to go from here really appreciates it yeah, no, it's that's a great, uh, great opportunity um, and something I'm sure, sure you enjoy. Um, so, as far as the judging goes, um, tell I know we touched a little bit on it uh, earlier, but tell us well, what are you what are you looking for in the dogs? So the dogs that place, um, what what are the qualifications or what's going to separate dogs that you know win the trial or or place yeah sure well as i said earlier the the main thing that judges are looking for over here is natural ability and game finding ability um game finding ability is paramount here it's you know it's because the, the field trials are supposed to represent what a day out hunting is so you're looking to find if you're making up field trial champions you want dogs that have proved themselves not to have any major faults because most of the pups that are bred don't end up with handlers who compete in field trials most of them end up in shooting homes um and those people want dogs that are not hard-mouthed, don't make noise, um, you know, will will retrieve to hand and naturally without um, without a, a, a huge amount of training. So they 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 need dogs that don't have major faults in them, and this is all proved at tri- at trials. Um, so game finding ability is the big one, but style and drive and nose and temperament all come into it as well. Um, but the way that the, the trials are ran here, um, the ju- you asked about the, how we find the best dogs. Well, there's a system here that we kind of all use for judging the dogs. Um, if a dog takes a nice, a nice straight line initially out to the area, uh, stops and handles, if it goes offline and requires a bit of handling, and achieves the area with minimal handling, hunts that area, finds the bird, and delivers it to hand, you'll get what's known as a nice, clean A retrieve. Now, if the dog messes about and needs a lot of handling, or worse than that, doesn't handle, you know, takes cast refusals or or stop doesn't stop on the whistle and it the retrieve gets messy, then it'll be downgraded to an A minus very quickly and to a B very quickly thereafter if the dog isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. Now if you get a B at a field trial over here, you'll actually be eliminated from the trial. Um, you might survive one minus, but if you pick up a few minuses, you'll probably be dropped from the trial as well. So it did did the three scores are A, A minus, B. But to complement that, then, if David, if you're running your dog and you're on your first retrieve and your dog goes to the area, hunts the area, finds the board, delivers to hand, I'll be giving you an A retrieve because the dog is clean. But I, I might also put in my notes that your dog hunted, you know, the area and showed good drive, um, 
nice style. There was good tail action, and the dog hunted hard in cover and found. I might make notes that your your dog put on a particularly impressive hunt, and that might separate you from the next dog if you get to the end of the trial. Um, the judges will use their notes to separate dogs. Like a dog might get five a retrieves where he goes straight out to the area, picks the board, and comes back. In the book, he's on five air retrieves and he's clean, but he might have walked out, walked around the area and walked back and showed lack of style and lack of drive. And obviously, if your dog had nice style and speed and, and drive, um, you're going to win and that dog is going to be downgraded to, to one of the other placements. So the notes will separate the dogs. Um, they're important that It's important that judges take good notes. Yeah, Keith, how many, how many retrieves do you usually get in a trial, like how many would uh, complete the the trial? Uh, is it you know? I, I heard you say five. Is that kind of typical or that 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 would be typical? Sometimes it can be more. Sometimes, it, well, it's it, it five is the minimum, but it's um it's according to our rules five is the minimum, but sometimes it can be more. If dogs are tied, they might go to a sixth or a seventh or even an eight or a ninth round if they need to separate dogs and there's ample game. So it depends on a number of factors. It depends on the game available and it depends on whether the dogs have separated themselves. If they've separated themselves after five retrieves, most judges would call it on that, you know. Um, sometimes they might go another round or two if they have to separate dogs that are particularly tight. Right. So, you, you know, you may have, if it's, say, it's a 16-dog, trial you may have let's say you have six that actually completed all of the retrieves and brought them back to hand and there was nothing wrong but then at that point you have to kind of separate um you know the top the top four uh on how it places so yeah and i know there's you had mentioned you know there's uh you make notes um but then back earlier in the conversation you mentioned the word eye wipe so um, I know that that comes into play and can elevate a dog. Um, so for our listeners that don't know what that is, if you can explain what an eye wipe means um, in, in a field trial and how, uh, how that could separate one dog from another. Yeah, sure. Well, an eye wipe is where a dog goes into an area, you know, takes a nice line to an area, goes into that area and hunts it. That's really important because, a dog has to have hunted the area for an eye wipe to be credited. So the dog goes into the area, hunts it, but fails to produce the board that 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 ultimately proves to be in the area. So he hunts that area, fails. He's given ample time if he's hunting the area. The judge eventually calls him in and sends another dog. Another dog goes down to the area, hunts it, and hey, presto, finds the board that was that was there all the time that the previous dog didn't find. That dog will be credited. If both dogs have hunted the area, the second dog that got the board will be credited with an eye wipe over the previous dog that failed. And three dogs could be sent or four dogs could be sent. And the fifth dog could go down and get it. And he'd get a four dog eye wipe over the four dogs that had failed. So... And I mentioned the judge's eye wipe where five dogs are sent and they all fail and the judge goes down and find it. Obviously, if the judge found it, one of the dogs should have found it. So they're all eliminated. Yeah, so that there's the, the, the dog eye wipe and then there's the, the judge eye wipe. Um, yeah. So back, I know the, the championship a couple of years ago I was at that you were at with me there. We, we saw, uh, I think there were two dogs that went to an area 
uh, did not produce produce the bird, and then the third dog went in and came back with the with the rooster. Uh, that dog, a uh, particular dog, ended up winning the championship that year, and that may have been one of the uh, the things that elevated them above the second place finisher. It was it was it was definitely a, it was would have definitely been a major factor, yeah. Because any of the dogs that finished the championship, as you know, David, the championship is our blue ribbon event. Uh, you've seen them, you've been at a number of them, and it's the the best of the best that year because the best dogs in the country in any given year qualify for it. You have to have a win or a second, so you you have to have been had a very good run at an open stake here to qualify for the championship. So it's the best of the best running and competing. And um, that year, yeah, the eye wipe would have definitely been a major factor for that dog. And I remember it clearly. Um, but, you know, that comes down to the notes and the books again, because any dog that finishes the championship is very clean. So to separate the top three or four dogs at the championship, they would definitely have to have taken good notes over the couple of days. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then, you know, speaking of the, the championship itself, you're also on the championship uh, committee as well, correct? Yeah, correct. I'm currently the secretary of the championship committee. The championship committee is a committee that's affiliated. You know, it's one of the, the committees that's under the, the governing body, which is the Irish Kennel Club. And basically its responsibility is for hosting, well, putting on the championship, getting the ground, securing a ground and organizing the event, taking in the entries and making sure everything runs smoothly on the day. So, um. I've been in, involved on the committee for the last number of years and we've ran a few successful championships. You've been here at some of them, David. And um, it's it's a fantastic event. It is, as I said already, it's the Blue Ribbon event that we host here every year. And ultimately, it's any competitor that competes here, it's their goal to to have success at the championship. Yeah, it's yeah, Keith. It, it's just an amazing event. And for anyone that has not seen... Uh, a trial in Ireland or the UK. Uh, they're pretty spectacular. And the championship, um, you know, that and the IGL in England uh, are, you know, the, the best events uh, in the world, I believe, to see this type of dog work. And it's pretty spectacular. Um, it's just, it's amazing to see, you know, the dog work, um, how quiet they are. Um, you know, there's, those familiar with American hunt test or field trials, uh, typically there's a lot of, a lot of barking going on. And uh, here it's just complete, complete silence. Uh, dogs are so well behaved. Um, I, I was just blown away when I saw it. I just couldn't believe the difficulty of the retrieves and the manners on the dogs. And I think that was, uh, you know, to me, just just an experience, and you can see it on YouTube and all that, but it just doesn't do it justice uh, to be there to see just how, uh, you know, how thick it is, and the the the, the heather and the bracken, and and you know, it's just wet, and it could be rainy and cold, and um, you know, it's just a true test of of retriever and handler, and just a spectacular event. I'm looking forward to coming back this year and uh, and seeing it again. Yeah, and we're we're very blessed here to be able to do what we do, and long may it last. Yeah, 
Yeah, I know. It's, uh, you know, it, you are blessed. It's just such a, such a great event and, um, you know, hopefully it can, it can continue on and, and, uh, do what you guys are doing because you're producing such good dogs and, um, you know, there's just such a uh, great competition there. It's just, just, you're just blessed to have it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Keith, you know, I, we're, we're kind of creeping at an hour here and, um, just kind of wanted to wrap it up, but no, I, I appreciate your taking your time, uh, to give us some background and talk about hunting and field trials and judging. And, um, you know, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and, you know, hopefully, uh, we can, we can do it again soon. Yeah, sure, David. I enjoyed it too, and I appreciate being asked to come on, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Keith. No bother. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to thank our sponsor, Huntmark, the makers of fine dog training equipment. Visit them at huntmark.com. Train with Huntmark.